the earliest songs that I learned were from either church or TV. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so were you. <laughs> so let's just praise the Lord. Okay? You've heard some of these songs, too. I also learned, just sit right back in your heel, a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. Uh, another song from childhood from TV. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Last week after church, Lily Potter was in my office, and I have portraits of about eight or nine people on the wall, and she noticed the portrait of Fred Rogers, and she says with a big smile on her face, oh, I know him, I watch his TV show, and I started it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And she sang the whole song, the whole song, like literally word for word. She knew every lyric. Songs have a way of getting lodged in our memory, don't they? Uh, which is why parents and teachers and religious leaders for years have educated children with songs. When you get Alzheimer's or dementia, you may not be able to dress yourself but you can still sing. You can still sing. Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga recently showed us that with Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett, I don't know if you know this, but is suffering from a form of dementia. He got out on stage, boom, from the first song to the last song. He nailed every single song, knew every single word and lyric, knocked it out of the park. Didn't even know who Lady Gaga was, <laughs> but he nailed it. Singing is amazing if you think about it. Right? I mean, the fact that we humans are able to push air up our throats through this fleshy membrane that vibrates at different speeds, changing the pitch, all the while we change the, the formation of our lips and mouth to, to phrase words, and, it, and, and we do this intuitively. I mean, it's amazing. And we sing about love and relationships and wars and kings and gods. Uh, college academicians which sometimes lack for things to do. Uh, I'm kidding. They looked at Billboard uh, popular songs from 1960 to 2009 in the United States, and they found that there were 12 common themes, okay? Here are the 12 common themes of American top 40 stuff from 1960 to 2009. Breakup. She done left me. Uh, desire, lots of songs about desire. Loss, jadedness, inspiration, aspiration, nostalgia, pain, desperation, rebellion, escapism, and confusion. I don't listen to top 40, but I, I got the top two songs this last week, okay? Song number one, About Damn Time by Lizzo. It's bad blank o'clock. Yeah, it's thick 30. I've been through a lot, but I'm still flirty. Is everybody back in the building? It's been a minute. Tell me how you're healing because I'm about to get into my feelings. How you feeling? How you feeling right now? <laughs> I'm feeling a little, I don't know. Okay. 
Light switch by Charlie Puth went, why are you calling at 11.30 when you only want to do me dirty? But I hit right back because you got that, yeah, yeah, you turned me on like a light switch. <laughs> top two songs, top two songs that American churchgoers sang in the last week. So lots more people are singing the songs that I just sang. One out of 10 Americans gathered for a church or religious service out of the last two weeks. And these are the top two things they sang. Hymn of Heaven by Phil Wilkham. How I long to breathe the air of heaven, where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets, to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. And then I speak Jesus by Charity Gale. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. I've been in Psalms all summer long. I'm sorry and thank you. Uh, and for a good portion of Jewish history, the Psalms were spoken, but they were also sung. If you go to an Orthodox church today, they don't say the Mass, they sing the Mass. And there's something about that. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 96, Psalm 96, which is an enthronement psalm. Enthronement psalms, if I were to set them to music today, I would start them off, Josh, with a timpani, kind of like uh, the Hunger Games where Katniss Everdeen walks in and it's dun, 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 right? You'd start off with a timpani, and then I'd end the enthronement psalm with the United States uh, Army brass. So that's about 30 trumpeteers and they like to come out and introduce the president when he's doing it, and I would end with a giant trumpet chorus. So Psalm 96 is an enthronement psalm, and a good chunk of it is actually borrowed from First, Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles rather, 16, David's song celebrating the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant for the first time in the city of Jerusalem. Other parts of Psalm 96 are borrowed from other psalms. It's kind of like the commercial from the 1970s. You can get the greatest hits of all the Psalms of all time in Psalm 96, okay? And little phrases are borrowed there, okay? So I want to walk us through, and my bottom line is really simple. God asks us to sing. Even if you tone deaf, even if percussion is your primary thing, <laughs> even if God asks us to sing, okay? God asks us to sing. Psalm 96, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Are you getting the whole sing thing here? Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that he does. Three times in the opening lines, we're told to sing. So when we get together, we're actually supposed to sing. We're supposed to sing when we get together. Why? Well, the psalmist lists 12 different reasons. I don't normally do this, but my big idea is simple. God wants us to what? God wants us to what? Okay, you got the big idea of the sermon today, okay? And there are reasons that God asks us to sing. First and foremost he, is because he asks us to sing to the Lord a new song. And then there's that new part. You want to know why? Because God's always up to something new. God's always doing a new thing on a new day with new people. God's, God's doing what God does. And so new things 
need new songs, okay? Um, also, because God is great, great is the Lord. Um, we should worship him because he's great. And then because he's real, the gods of the other nations are mere idols. And again, I've talked about this before, but we Americans like to think that because we don't have some little statue of Buddha in our homes that we don't do idolatry. And that is the farthest thing from the truth, right? Americans, we have all kinds of idols. An idol is anything that we're looking to, to tell us who we are, to tell us that we're enough, to give us meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment. Come on, America's got a lot of idols, okay? And, and the psalmist is saying here, God's not like those things that can't deliver what they promise. God does what he says. God can deliver. God's real. He's not something made from human hands. And then uh, the next reason, nations of the world recognize the Lord. Recognize the Lord as glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let the earth tremble before him. I missed some verses, but the gods of other nations are mere idols. The Lord made the heavens. I've mentioned this before. In moments in my faith 10, 15 years ago where I would, I would struggle, people would be encountering hard things, they'd die of cancer, all kinds of stuff, and we'd pray and pray. And if I had a moment of doubt where I'd be like, well, maybe God's not who I thought God was, I would go to NASA's website and I would look through what was then the Hubble Space Telescope because the heavens speak. The heavens declare the wonder, wondrous nature of God, right? And so um, we worship God because he's real, because he made the heavens, uh, because he's beautiful. Um, I don't know if you know this, but our entire concept of beauty is derived from the fact that God is beautiful, right? There's things that, uh, and beauty speaks to us in ways that so many other things don't. Uh, another reason, uh, from verse uh, 6, he's in the sanctuary, right? The gods, but the Lord made the heavens. God's here. God's here with us. Um, because singing is a means of worship, and that's part of these verses here, recognize the Lord. Recognize the Lord is glorious and strong. Um, because he reigns, that's in verse 10. Tell the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He'll judge all peoples fairly. Um, God's actually in control. Sometimes that bothers you and sometimes that bothers me, right? Because we think God should turn, you know, this should have turned out this way or that should have turned out that way. If we were in charge, we'd do it differently. But it's actually a good thing that God's in charge of the universe because God is good and God is just and God is loving and God is slow to anger and God is compassionate. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in North Korea, the North Koreans sing to their dictator. They do. They sing songs to him. He comes out into a room, and they all like are applauding like their life depends on it because their life depends on it. <laughs> and they sing these songs to him. And uh, recently, uh, Kim Jong-un made an appearance, and he's, he's lost quite a bit of, of weight. And people wept because there was less of him to sing to. I know, isn't that crazy and creepy and everything all rolled up into that? We worship a God who sent his one and only son. God himself became human, 
God the Son lived the life that we should live, died the death that we deserve, and the cross is a giant indicator of the kind of God that God is. God is worthy of our singing and our praise. Um, and then in the next verses, so the Lord reigns. The, words, the world stands firm and cannot be shaken. God will judge all peoples fairly. Um, one of the things that I'm convinced that will happen on Judgment Day, Resurrection Day, is that when Jesus judges the nations, I don't think anybody's going to do a, hey, 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 you did it wrong. That's not how it should be. Those people, this thing, no, no. I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to call foul when judgment is pronounced, when Jesus judges all of creation. Um, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Are you kind of getting the triumphal nature of this psalm and what the psalmist is trying to express? Um, all creation was made to sing. And then at the end of this verse, he is coming to judge the earth. One of the things that we believe is that Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back to judge. He'll judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth, right? He's coming back. That's a reason to sing. Uh, Jesus is coming back to make things right, to make things as they should be. Um, and he'll judge with faithfulness. That's the word used in the Hebrew. Um, God's judgments are good and just. Um, I mentioned earlier before the worship service, I'll just bring it into the sermon. I told him it made the cutting room floor. Uh, at, in the book of Revelation, there's uh, the saints who are protesting before the throne of God, and they're like, how long are you going to delay? How long before you get down here? Do you not know what's going on down here? Come on, Lord. Come on. Let's go. Come, come. And there's this pressing nature for God to act and to God to judge. And that's actually reason, that's good news. That's a reason to sing. Um, so the psalmist lists all these reasons why we should be singing to God. I don't know if you know this, but there are actual benefits for you to sing to the Lord. Did you know this, that singing does a number of things? It lowers your cortisol level and releases stress. It's a mindfulness activity that makes you more human. It improves social bonding and social cohesion. Let me tell you, if you've ever tried to sing with a musical group, that's social cohesion right there. And then there's the physiological benefits. Singing strengthens the immune system. When you're singing, you're less susceptible to getting sick. It improves breathing, and it is an aerobic activity that improves your uh, overall health. Weird, huh? Weird. So let me ask a question. In light of the psalm telling us we should sing to the Lord, in light of the fact that we should be singing to the Lord, if the way that you worshiped and sang was a sermon, what would your sermon be saying? Would it be joyful? Would it be dour? Would it be passive? Would it be active? Would it be uh, uh, a frown? Would it be a smile? What would you be preaching with your singing and worship if your singing and worship were a sermon? So, how can you and I take this home? First of all, sing, dadgummit. Sing, sing. You should be singing in the shower, in the car, here on Sunday morning. You should be singing. 
Even if you have a good voice, even if you have a bad voice, even if you're in tune, even if you're out of tune, even if you have vibrato, even if you don't even know what that is. <laughs> sing songs in the car. Sing songs when you're working out. And here's what I would ask you to do. Curate a list of hymns and worship songs that you throw into your rotation. I, I listen to Johnny Cash. I listen to Peter, Paul, and Mary. I listen to Broadway musicals, but I also listen to David Crowder's Collision album. I also listen to the 2010 uh, uh, Gunger album, Beautiful Things. I'm purposeful to put those kind of songs into my mix because there's something about singing in my heart and directing my heart to things that's connected and expressing things, all right? So I, I would encourage you that as you're curating this list, playlist, I know many of you have Spotify. I'm still old-fashioned, and I got CDs. Maybe I'll, enter the, maybe I'll enter the 21st century someday, okay? But, but in that list, in that Spotify list, have some room for some good old hymns that have some good, solid theology to them and some worship songs that have some good, sound theology to them. So sing and be intentional with the singing. And then secondly, don't let your feelings drive. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. There are going to be times when you don't feel like singing, when you don't feel like worshiping, when you don't feel like going to church. Can I let you in on a little secret among pastors? There are Sundays pastors don't even feel like preaching. <gasps> what? I know, it's crazy. But Americans, we shouldn't be letting our feelings drive our behaviors and actions. We should pay attention to them. We should understand what's going on under the hood. We should name them. We should express them in appropriate ways, but we shouldn't be letting them drive the bus and drive us around. So sing and don't let your feelings drive. And what I mean by don't let your feelings drive is one of the powerful things happen when we gather to worship, I would strongly encourage you to continue to make that a priority, even when you don't feel like it, okay? I don't know if you know this, but, but Jews and Christians have been singing a long time. And there's a lot of amazing music that the world has gotten because of the faith of Jews and Christians over time. What God has done to us, or what God has done for us, what God uh, has in saving Israel, in saving the new Israel, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, there's, there's a lot to sing about. I don't know if you know this, but all religions are not created equal. Sometimes I'll have people say to me, well, Max, all religions are basically the same. And I always chuckle and I say, well, look at the cultures that those religions create and tell me they're the same. They're not. They're different. Religions create culture. I don't know if you know this, but I don't know if you know this either, but in, among, in Islam, for example, if you go to a mosque and you worship with Muslims, you don't sing. Muslims do not sing in their worship to Allah. Among the five pillars of, uh, of Islam, it's all about what you're doing for Allah. Whereas in the Judeo-Christian heritage, most of the singing is about what God has done for us. Do you see the difference? Yeah, okay. There's a reason that, that Jews and Christians have, sing, uh, have sung. I have another question for you. What makes your heart sing? What makes your heart sing? 
I'm convinced that a lot of Americans just don't know who God really is, and so it's hard for them to really sing to God and to worship to God because they don't really know. They've not really known in, a, in, a, in an experiential way who God is. And so there's this disconnect. Um, I'm convinced that more than anything, the cross and the empty tomb show us the kind of God that God is. He, humanity's a mess. What are we going to do about it? He becomes a baby. He's totally dependent on these two poor parents on the outskirts of Judea. He preaches. He heals. He dies a criminal death that he doesn't deserve. Thank God he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead three days later. God rolled up his sleeves, and God, God got into the thick of it. Um, on April 23, 1962, Karl Barth came to America and spoke on the campus of the University of Chicago. Uh, Karl Barth was this giant theologian, Swiss theologian from the 20th century. And American students being American students, and American students have not changed in this regard, many people report that from that seminar at the University of Chicago, one student raised their hand and they're like, Professor Bart, Professor Bart, could you summarize all of your teaching in one sentence? <laughs> and then probably the second question was, is this going to be on the test? <laughs> okay? And Bart's answer was this, in the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. So I think you get what I'm getting at today. I want you to sing. God wants you to sing. 